Breakers, and welcome to the 48th episode of Project Studio Tea Break. I am Mike Senior, and I am here with my wicker co-host, John Whitten. <laughs> Hello, John. Good morning. I'm assuming that's a reference to my wooden acting, my extreme frailty, <laughs> and overly intimate connection with trees, all of which I accept and happily publicise. I was going to say your densely woven character. Uh, you know what? That's nicer. Let's go with yours instead. <laughs> it's lovely to be back, um, and back in Germany. Having thoroughly earned that tea break. I, you know what? I reckon so. <laughs> I reckon so. And I won't lie. In the past, I've had a couple that I didn't quite earn. Yeah. Because it was time for a tea break and I was just kind of feeling a bit aimless. Someone else had already boiled the kettle. There we go. It's more, more a social thing than anything else. But this one, mm. happy to say I've fully earned. <laughs> how, how about you? Are you finding yourself worthy of this tea break? I think scarcely has a tea break between the two of us therefore been earned more than this 48th tea break. <gasps> Possibly our most earned tea break. That's quite something. Oh, absolutely. Because yesterday I submitted all the first submission files for the second edition of Recording Secrets. Heckin' yeah. That's awesome. Congratulations. I've got that kind of, well, you'll know this completely, that dazed feeling that you get when you come right out of a big long run of work <laughs> into a kind of a vacuum of nothing. Yes, it's an odd one. And go, up. Oh, who was I again before I started that? <laughs> I mean... In theatre, there is, of course, the tradition of the last night celebration, which helps to gently ease that transition with a night of no sleep and shouting and hugging. <laughs> so that you, you wake up and you, you feel dazed and confused, but you're not sure why anymore, at least. It, yes. it could be the several empty boxes of wine yes. surrounding the patch of grass you decided was your bed last night, or it could be the existential change of finishing the show. It, it's very hard to say. It's that mixed hangover euphoria thing. <laughs> exactly. How did you celebrate getting these fun? In. Um, I started making a video on acceptance angles. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I roll. That's just how you do. Although, actually, no, I tell a lie because I kind of had it finished the previous evening mm -hmm. and I just had to finish writing the mail and send it off. And I think my brain celebrated in a way that <laughs> I'm still reeling from now. Oh, yeah. Because this is the second reason that I have undoubtedly earned this tea break. Okay. I have not made any of my own new music for probably 10 years now. Golly. I mean, you've heard the trivial stuff that I did like 12 years ago now-ish. I have, I have. And at that time, I just kind of got a bit fed up with it because it had taken so long because it was so labour-intensive. <laughs> yeah. But since then, kind of in that small hiatus before I completely ran out of time... <laughs> Um, I started experimenting with a new kind of concept of how to try and make music that wasn't so labour intensive. Ooh. Much more stripped back and almost kind of restricted mm -hmm. of saying, OK, yeah, I'm going to have a loop. I'm going to have one drum loop and I'm going to have a bass line and I'm going to have me. And that's it. Oh, wow. And about 10 years ago, I'd started along this line before I ran out of time and built four backing tracks mm. of just kind of a chorus backing track section that I'd yet to write any kind of top line for or anything that kind of personified this model. Yeah. And they've been sitting around for ages. Mm. I mean, literally, they got so old that I'd archived them into my <laughs> Blu-ray discs. They were no longer on my system anywhere. Wow. And the night before I submitted Recording Secrets Edition 2, at three in the morning, the entire 
entire top line chorus and some of the verses of one of those songs came into my head in a way that I couldn't go to sleep. Mike, that's amazing. I actually had to go downstairs at three in the morning, get some manuscript paper because I didn't want to make any noise. (laughs) And also, I didn't even have the backing track anywhere I could play. So I wrote out what I thought the top line was going to be in manuscript. (laughs) Oh, my God. Like Mozart on his deathbed, just scribbling feverishly. totally. That's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, it's just Mozart's Requiem. Oh, no. But the thing that blows my mind and the crazy thing about it is that then I fished out the backing track that I knew that this was supposed to be over Mm. from the archives Mm. and the thing fit perfectly. Oh, my. I'm so happy to hear that. And the thing is, it's not a line that is just entirely following the chords. It's like suspending against them. And yeah. I'm still reeling from that. That Basically, the first new music I've done in 10 years was this crazy 10-year <laughs> callback. That is just magnificent. It's one of those moments where you, you just marvel at how the brain works. <laughs> yes! Because I wasn't even thinking of that backing track. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it in months. And all of a sudden, that whole thing just pops into my head. Mm-hmm. And it's also weird because this process is so utterly at odds with the process I used on all the previous stuff. So what was your approach before with this much more time-consuming writing method? The first record I entirely did on manuscript. Oh, wow. I wrote it all out and planned it on manuscript first. I mean, that's one of the reasons why it's so crazy. (laughs) But with this one, I'm actually working backwards from the sounds. Yeah. I'm not sure Project Studio T-Break listeners wanted to listen to this, but... No, I mean, I think, if nothing else, we've learned that they're an extremely tolerant, understanding lot. (laughs) Um, So so regardless, (laughs) yes, I think we're going to good place. I mean, there is this sense sometimes that creating music is just about waiting for that moment when your brain realises that one thing goes with another thing. (laughs) It's really frustrating because it's not something you can push or force somehow. No, absolutely not. That kind of moment of discovery. I've always been a fan of the idea that inspiration comes, but it must find you working. Wow. Oh, that's a lovely quote. (laughs) Isn't that nice? Isn't there one that is something like there is no such thing as inspiration. There is only the work. Isn't that Stravinsky or, or Picasso or something? I don't know, but I like it. But I like yours even more because of the <laughs> idea that you've got to be working for the inspiration to hit. Mm-hmm. Like I was at three o'clock in the morning when I was <laughs> flat on my back in bed. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, John, you say you've been busy. I do. I make that claim. So my question to you is, did you catch the Oscars ceremony? I have an extremely bad habit. I have several. But my worst one, probably, is waking up and rolling over onto Reddit. I'm a filthy (laughs) casual when it comes to Reddit. I refuse to make an account. I just look at the public front page, which is whatever's caught most people's attention on any single message board on the entire site. So there'll be a funny picture of a kitten, an analysis of the latest geopolitical advancements, someone's new cross-stitch, and a (laughs) recipe for quiche. And just after the Oscars ceremony, I signed on, and it was just one story. It was a hundred different angles on one story. The only story. And that was how I became aware. (laughs) And actually, I can hold my hand up here as being busier than John, because I only realised this had happened an hour before we started recording. Oh, my word. When I started looking into who had won Best Original Song. (laughs) I have officially been living under a rock. If you'd managed to pull up an Oscar winner without becoming aware of this fact i would be deeply impressed at the specificity of your google searching and of course the fact is will smith slapping chris rock live in the middle of the oscars like physically assaulting a man on stage it was intense amazing (laughs) as chris rock quite rightly commented 
that was the greatest night in the history of television. <laughs> I mean, wow. Yeah. But all of that aside, the actual reason why I was interested in the Oscars this morning was Best Original Song. Oh, yeah. So can you take a guess at who won? I mean, just having looked at the Grammys, I'm not very up on who's had songs in films, but there's a good chance it's Doja Cat, there's a good chance that it's Dua Lipa, and there's a good chance it's Billie Eilish. It's certainly Billie Eilish, but what's weird about it is that it's the Bond theme she wrote three years ago. Really? Because the film was delayed so long. Oh. It's only come out as a best original song this year. I'm glad that she still remembered it. Um, (laughs) Oh, I just love Billie Eilish, even more so for an interview she gave before the Oscars show where, of course, she did it live. Mm. You know, we talk a lot about her writing and the production and everything, but, oh my God, isn't she an incredible singer too? Mm. And getting richer and better and more interesting with age too. Uh. She's getting these kind of grown woman notes in her voice that Mm. are like, oh wow, this is a whole new range. Mm. But anyway, she was interviewed before the show and they asked her something like, what are you thinking about before performing this evening? (laughs) Her reply was, just not sucking. I mean, that's kind of my mindset doing anything, but especially at the Oscars. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm just going to try not to suck. <laughs> oh, that, that's pretty it good, just, isn't it? I have so much time for Billie Eilish because yeah. of that kind of stuff. Who were the other nominees? Well, there was the Belfast film. Mm. The song that was on the soundtrack for that was a Van Morrison song called Down to Joy. Oh, wow. And actually, I'm really glad it didn't win because it has possibly the most annoying sounding brass section ever recorded. Really? And the vocals... Wait, I really, I really, really hope that got caught on microphone because you said the most annoying brass section ever recorded and at that point, a car just leant on its horn right outside my window. <laughs> and I, I, I swear to God... I think I heard it. I am so, so glad because at that moment, I thought you maybe had it queued up on a soundboard. <laughs> And you played it. And I thought to myself, you're not wrong. That's a pretty annoying brass section. <laughs> Let me send you a link to the video. Yes, please. It's not only that the brass section's bad, mm. but the vocals are annoyingly pitchy. Oh, wow. And okay. you know how sometimes you listen to a mix and you get the impression you can hear what the mix engineer's thinking? <laughs> yes. And pay attention to how much louder the BVs are balanced than the lead. <laughs> oh, my God. My f- when the when the lead vocals first come in, my first response is that this is a shred. <laughs> Remember when we went over shreds yes. ages and ages ago? Oh yeah, genuinely. What oh, it that's like. a deep burn. That is. <laughs> wow. How is this the take they went for? <laughs> Although someone didn't just in the background just slyly melodyne it a bit. Oh wow, you're not wrong. Those are prominent backing vocals. <laughs> <laughs> Someone doing their best to make good out of a bad situation. So is this, is this a new Van Morrison song? Is this a recent one or is this something from the archives? I'm kind of assuming it must be because it's a it's the best original song, well, but maybe it's an older one. I don't know. We'll find out. Oh God, you're listening to all of it. I lost hope after about 50 seconds. Okay, so here's... Here's what's up. It was based on a 1970s demo that Van Morrison recorded, but it was all redone. This is a, this is a um, <laughs> 2021 recording. And this is why this is important to me. Yeah. You talked about Melodyne and stuff, and I thought to myself, well, Van Morrison's career has spanned quite the technological development. Oh, of course, yeah. Maybe that kind of stuff wasn't available. Ah, oh, I see. And, you know, maybe this was one of his wax cylinder works, and they only had one <laughs> go or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he had leprosy at the time. Yes. But, no, it's 20. 2020, there really, really is no excuse. (laughs) I deeply appreciate your use of annoyingly pitchy 
Because before people jump on Twitter and engage with us, you're welcome to jump on Twitter and engage with us. <laughs> We're not just auto-tune everything. No, We're not. no. There is absolutely space for expressive microtonality. Yes. And for roughness and for unfinished edges. Yes. But that doesn't feel like the mood of this song, apart from anything else. Yeah. Though the whole vibe is, oh, who did I, I've, I've got my mind set on you? George Harrison's song. Yeah. But it's just a bit slower and all the vocals are out of tune. I can't see the appeal. <laughs> Well, I mean, Eilish also uh, knocked out Lin-Manuel Miranda with his Spanish-language song, Dos Oruguitas. What film was that in? From Encanto, sung by a a Colombian singer-songwriter. Well, okay, I'm all... Well, I was going to say I'm all right with Lin-Manuel Miranda leaning back on a couple of award shows, but Billie Eilish has enough too. She does. I'm not sure either one of them is an underdog pick. (laughs) That is true, but then Van Morrison will be the underdog pick here for me, because the other two are Reba McIntyre and Beyoncé. Wow. So... Reba McIntyre's, it is a just totally middle-of-the-road classic country ballad, you know, um, snare-inflated to 30 PSI kind of thing, you know. (laughs) But the video is absolutely priceless, the the official video. And again, I've got to send you a link. There are two moments that kill me. The first is one that, honestly, I'm concerned that the drone they're using for the drone flying is going to hit her. Check it out. Here we go. I've heard three seconds of this song, but I feel like I could write you the rest out on manuscript paper without breaking a sweat. <laughs> oh, okay. Is it going to slow down? Ooh. <laughs> I think that drone crashed. It kind of feels like it must have taken her hat off, at least. That's why they used that shot. She absolutely refused for it to come back after that. Maybe it did knock her hat off, and that gave them the idea of the second bit, which is just <laughs> the most incredibly contrived bit of videography. Oh, I'm very, very excited. Okay, loading up. <laughs> no, no, on a keychain. <laughs> okay, listeners, I'm not. God, I'm not sure how to do this. Just go to two minutes forty-five through Raven McIntyre's. Somehow you do, but so you know, <laughs> she's on a blustery beach, and at the moment of key change, her hat blows off. It's not in slow motion. It doesn't look planned. She looks uncomfortably kind of you know how the wind's blowing in your face and trying to sing. That's a difficult thing to do. It looks like a blooper. The thing is, the more you watch it, and I have now watched this 30 seconds way too much, <laughs> the worse it gets. Because what happens then is that the, the hat blows off and then it cuts to a couple of laughing little children coming down the sand dunes, picking up said hat and returning it to Ms. McIntyre. Oh, no. But when the little girl hands it to Reba McIntyre, she's slow-mouthing the chorus words, and then it shoots to a, a face reaction shot of the little girl, and honestly, it's like, oh my what God. is this crazy woman doing? <laughs> and then she runs away. She flees back for the hills. She looks genuinely kind of traumatised. No, Mike, that is so, so much better because it means that what we are seeing in her hat blowing off is the result of 45 minutes standing on a windy beach trying to find out how to put it on just light enough and turn at just the right time to get the hat blow. I mean, if ever there was a music video that deserved to be done without the music, this is one of them. Oh, that's so beautiful. That deserves best cinematography as well. I don't care. Just like, I'm watching it again and again. Sorry, okay. 
Back to the podcast. To be fair, it does actually have some competition from Beyonce, who did a big set piece live style video, a big performance mm. of her singing Be Alive, which is the theme song for that tennis thing that Will Smith won Best Actor for. Right. And everything is the colour of tennis balls, that horrible yellowy green colour. Oh, right. Okay. But what I want to do is I want to send you the video and then we'll discuss the only question that I want the answer to. Okay, so John, you had a listen now to this thing, and I was edified that within the first 20 seconds, you put your finger on the burning question for me with this music video. (laughs) In that, they painted everything they could see, this horrible tennis ball yellow. Oh, that colour. Including the string instruments. But they didn't paint the horns. <laughs> now, what's going on? It's like, horns too good to be painted. I, uh, yeah. I mean, it would have okay. mattered less with horns. <laughs> <laughs> Even the symbols you could have painted, and they didn't paint those, and they would have mattered less than the string instruments. Resonating wooden bodies covered in paint. And you know, you couldn't cover the underlying colour of a violin with just one coat of that yellow paint. Mm-hmm. You'd have had to have had a special colour concealing undercoat. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have needed a solid three coats to get that depth of colour on a violin. No, it's true, and it's it's a. Uh, so this is the thing. It's kind of zany. It's kind of crazy. I have to say first. It, I mean, it's Beyonce, so this is gonna go on some of my playlists. I'm gonna listen to it again. It's amazingly performed. It's a catchy song. I like it. Did you feel it was worthier than it was good though? Ooh, what a good question. Can you hum the tune? It's kind of just ascending minor scales. No, no, no. no. (laughs) (laughs) And she had a good three minutes to get a tune into your brain. She did. I mean, I could have blamed myself for having such a rubbish musical memory if I had not had the tune. But (laughs) I know yours is better than mine. (laughs) I think it's just Beyonce's selling power, Beyonce's star power. Like, there's... yeah. 100% style, and it just didn't seem there was much content. No, I am so, so very with you. So my question for you, there are mics up all over the place on kind of green-painted mic stands. Yes. What do you believe that we are hearing was recorded in the place we are seeing? Well, I mean, this is the whole valley of uncertainty, isn't it? Mm. Ever since that Justin Timberlake one-take video that could have been completely (laughs) reassembled after the fact. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I was so appalled by the colour issue that it just so distracted me. Well, that what there is, incidentally, to record then that I could see anyway, is a single mic up on like a tool stand a few metres behind them. So basically, if they'd used that on the soundtrack, it would have sounded like a music video without music. It would have been yes. lots of squeaking of tennis shoes on that surface. I don't know, I'd be amazed if mic'd that way in an outdoor space next to a street. Which also gets to the point for me of, okay, let's say you could. Let's say that there are some just absolute whiz-kid engineers out there who could. Or little tiny microphones that are stuck behind the bridge or something. Sure, really expensive, like, contact wireless mics. Yeah. Why would you? Why bother? Why go to all that effort? (laughs) What you've created works. Like, what you can do with, with a backing track and live recording of Beyonce's vocals works. Yeah. And it means that everyone can just concentrate on the dancing. Except that I wasn't. I mean, it basically eliminates any musicians from the equation because, like, the moment you spot that the violins are painted yellow... (laughs) Made me think, why aren't the horns painted yellow? You know, what's it doing to the sound? You started thinking about where the mics were, whether they were actually moving their fingers. It's like, <laughs> neither of us remember the song. <laughs> no, 
No, I loved it, but I don't remember it. Okay, which makes it even more of an inexcusable crime that they did the grand piano the way that they did. Yes. Because what they have <laughs> is a 12-foot grand piano. Like, oh, no, that's not true. It's a, it's a baby grand. Yes. But it's a beautiful piano, all painted green. And at 1 minute 40 seconds, you get to see that it's a keyboard that's been put inside an empty case. In a video where they hide so much so well. Yes. They've just kind of declared that. Wouldn't it have been a bit like if they'd done a close-in shot of the drummer and it had been one of those Roland kits? The little rubber symbols. <laughs> okay, I've got to say, though, coming back to your very first question, having spent now I don't know how many minutes scrolling through this video, I'm actually I'm really into the horns choice. Oh, not painting the horns. Not painting the horns, because they've got exclusively silver horns, and they are in this, like, bubble of tennis ball green and so it gives them all a green sheen no i hadn't quite cottoned on to the fact that they're all silver horns right so you you don't you don't have that invasive gold color you weep for the musicians don't you <laughs> the auditions yes yes we were on the very best musicians do you have a silver horn nope <laughs> oh sorry we can't use it yeah musicians are set dressing you haven't played trombone have you no okay if you skip to one minute 50 and just watch five seconds or so you'll cut to two trombone Yes. Who, I swear to God, are just wobbling the slides in and out. Maybe <laughs> it's a technique I don't understand, but it looks for all the world. <laughs> You're right, they do look like they're like, just wave it around, mate, it'll do fine. It's not even in rhythm, because it's straight 16th notes that the brass is in theory playing. It's daku, kaku, kaku, kaku. And what's great is that actually a lot of the brass section look really cool. They've mm. got these kind of cornrows and like cool sunglasses and whatever. Mm. And the two guys who are just waving around the <laughs> The slides. Yes. They look a bit like, oh, we need a couple more trombone players, and they just grabbed a couple of the lighting technicians or something. They have that look about them. Put a baseball cap on him and put a, like a yellow headband on him, and I'm sure it'll be fine. That's really funny. Oh no, there's too much attention to the lighting for that. These were a couple of the live mix engineers. We're like, oh, we don't need them. Uh, we don't. We don't need any of that here. We're we're fine. There's another one actually. I'm looking at that shot, and the whole brass section is seated, except one poor euphonium playing girl. Who's standing yes, up? Yes, I saw that. There are two guys sitting down with euphoniums. <laughs> it's like, where has gentlemanliness gone? There are criticisms that could be leveled at this video, but poorly planned just isn't one of them. This looks meticulous. Yes. You painted the music stands green. Yes. You painted the mic stands green. Yes. How is it you were one chair short for the euphonium <laughs> section? <laughs> Okay, so we've talked about the Best Song Award at the Oscars. That wasn't actually supposed to be my news. I just, <laughs> an hour before the podcast, I thought, oh, I'll just check who won the Oscars. And then it just led me down this rabbit hole. Oh my goodness. So then the for the news section this month, I thought, you know, we actually haven't covered the technology very much in the last few episodes. We've been dealing with a lot of other stuff. That's true. Let's go back to our roots, hardcore project studio technology. So <laughs> we live in a world where there are so many influencers and YouTubers and everything's going to video. And the need to capture live, good quality sound on set has led to this explosion in the number of 
affordable little high quality audio recorders. Mm. You know, things that have two, four, six channels. Yeah. You know, with XLRs and stuff. Sometimes with a couple of mics built onto them, like this extension of the previous. You know, take it along to your, to a gig and record the gig kind of handheld recorder that has been around for a while. Yes, yes. And so this month I bring news of the Zoom F3, which is the cutest and dinkiest one that I've seen in a long time. And actually, I will send you a quick link to a picture so you can look at it. It's a slightly chunky Tamagotchi. <laughs> is what I'm looking <laughs> oh, at that's here. That's that's so the size. well done. Oh, thank wow. you very much. Uh, thank heavens for podcast co-hosts because I could not <laughs> have done justice to that product in the way you have just done. I would have floundered around for hours trying to come up with that beautiful encapsulation of the Zoom F3. <laughs> 90s tech references. It's what I'm here for. Happy to be of service. But it is a, such a capable little thing. You get two phantom-powered XLR inputs, mm -hmm. headphone and line outputs on mini jacks, It'll power from two AA batteries or directly over USB and will run while it's connected to the USB. Okay. You can connect it over USB to a computer for file transfer, but in addition, it will operate as a two-in, two-out, class-compliant audio interface. Oh, mate, so that can be your sound card? Yes. That's very cool. And in addition, there's a little Bluetooth adapter for, I think, about 35 quid, something like that. Mm. You can plug into it and control the whole thing over Bluetooth from your mobile phone. <sighs> Ah. It's got little metal handles on it that you can use to kind of like strap it to your wrist if you want. <laughs> or there's a little socket for a tripod mount so you could stick it on a tripod too. It's just really nicely designed, beautiful little thing. Powerful bit of kit, yeah. It'll record up to 192 kilohertz. Okay. And it'll take micro SD cards of up to a terabyte. So there's no ah. like disk space issues. <laughs> no, absolutely none. But this isn't the interesting thing about it for me. And I think I'm a little bit late to the party in realizing that this existed. Okay. Now, I, I would just want to back a bit here because back in the days of tape there was a little known trick that some producers used to use there's a producer called George Massenberg who was the one who kind of let me in on it mm. that if you had a very dynamic vocalist on tape there was a concern that when they sang loud they'd overload the tape but that if you had the preamp too low then for everything where they weren't singing loud, loud, it'd be covered in noise. Okay. Because you didn't have much dynamic range on the medium. Okay. And so there was a trick with those kinds of singers that you would molt their vocal signal to two tracks with different preamp settings. Oh, that's really interesting. So the quiet bits on one track would be at a good level without being covered in noise. Mm. But of course, it would be massively distorted when they oversang. Mm. But that would be caught by the track that wasn't at the high preamp level. Right. And then you just kind of chop and change between the tracks when you're mixing. But what Zoom have done is that they have now managed to create a similar system using two AD converters on the same input. Okay. So it means that you don't need to set the gain. You just plug it in. And because it's got these two converters set at different gain levels, mm. it can reconstitute a 32-bit floating point audio file for any level you put into it with clean audio. You never need to set the gain ever again. It does it automatically now without any like noise cost and without limiting and stuff. I'm so glad you actually explained how it worked because if you just said you don't have to set the gain, it deals with that automatically. I would have been hugely distrustful. Yeah. Because I've had all sorts of rubbish experiences with kit where I've left that on by accident. Yes. And you just get this fader bouncing up and down like a ping pong ball. Yeah. As it tries to adjust. And these horrible kind of sucky release artifacts in, oh. in, in, after long notes and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. When all the kind of noise rushes up in the gap.
app. Yeah, but I heard some guy demoing it where he went from shouting into a high output condenser mic and completely overloading mm. it. And then he went into his DAW and just turned down the 32-bit floating point and it was clean as a whistle. Oh, my God. And then going from whispering into a dynamic mic without one of those cloud liftery things yeah. and then turning it up. And that was also clean. Basically, what it promises is the end of having to set levels. That's very exciting. Which is so cool. I take no pleasure at all in setting gains. No. That's not fun. It's just boring. It's boring. And <laughs> it's the kind of thing that if you get it right, it'll be nothing. And if you get it wrong, it'll ruin a day's work. Yeah, you can only get it wrong. Thank you. That's what I'm aiming for. <laughs> That's absolutely awesome. And it's so small. And it's four thousand pounds. Like, what? What are we looking at? Three hundred and fifty quid. No, that, that's three hundred and fifty dollars. So I don't know whether it'll translate into quid like that. <laughs> and actually, it's also for me a little bit of a mini face palm. Do tell, because it's not in the second edition of the recording book that I just submitted. <laughs> <laughs> Literally <laughs> yesterday, I submitted recording secrets as a kind of a. This is the state of recording in twenty twenty two. In this moment in time. <laughs> <laughs> so basically what that means is that I'm actually going to have to send an emergency email to the publisher and say, wait, <laughs> wait. hold the presses. <laughs> well, a facepalm undeniably, but I'm so, so glad that you discovered it now, not two weeks from now, yeah. when presumably emergency emails would no longer be heeded. And the gutting thing about it as well is that I talk about that George Massenberg trick in the book. <laughs> So all the groundwork for explaining how this works is already there. <laughs> it's right there and ready to go. Oh. That's amazing. But in a general sense, as a product, it just sounds like such a useful thing. Just the thought of being able to go out and record some kind of classical concert without having to think about levels. Yeah. With this tiny little thing and a couple of mics and stands. Yeah. Or a single big stand and a couple of mics on top. is just fabulous. It's really beautiful. Now, the other news story I have is a product that has a slightly silly name. <laughs> <laughs> so, and you know, I always gravitate towards products with slightly silly names. I do. So, I'll tell you what, let me give you the name of the first one and see if you can give me some ideas of what it is. Okay. Oh, I hope we haven't played this game in a while. <laughs> Fantastic news. It's the Synect Audio Sound Bullet. I mean, the first thought I have, which is appropriate for a family podcast, <laughs> is... And I noticed there was the pregnant pause when you got past that first thought. Absolutely <laughs> there was. Is that it's one of those... We actually used one on this last show. And that, that, Blimey, that, I didn't realise it was that kind of show. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I am I am trying to keep my mind out the gutter here. I'm, I'm not sure. I have no idea what the technology behind them is, but it's a condenser mic which is just sort of the first centimetre and a half of a normal condenser mic, and then wires. I know that very one. It's a little Omni mic. It's called the Silver Bullet, is it? I think so. Like, I, I remember... It looks like just someone's left an XLR connector hanging around. And then if you look really closely, there is a mic smeared thinly on top of it. <laughs> Honestly, I think it was primarily used for its size rather than its, you know, particular sonic qualities. Yeah. Because we were very, very tight in the band corner. And they're super cheap as well, those things. Are they? Oh, amazing. I thought they were about like 30 quid or something at one point i toyed with the idea of trying to do a whole production just using those little mics ah. record an entire band with like 300 quid's worth of mics that's like 10 mics that would be amazing but that is my best guess as to what the silver bullet does how am i doing well that's not a bad guess because the whole kind of bullet shape makes you think something like a micro 
microphone. I, I agree with you on that one. But whether or not we agree is not so much the question. <laughs> <laughs> whether reality agrees with you. <laughs> yes. Something I don't normally trouble myself with, but on this occasion feels relevant. Yes. Well, let me answer this with another question. Okay. What is the most common technical question any musician asks when they're in a studio or on stage? Uh, can we make it louder? If you're happy to class that as a technical question. Yeah, it is a technical question. To be fair, I think that might be equal first. I hadn't thought about that one, but you're right. That is a common one. Okay, wow. It's pretty close. (laughs) Why am I not hearing anything? Oh, oh, yeah. Or from the sound desk side, why can't we see any signal? (laughs) Or another one that's kind of connected is like, what is making this noisy? What is making this crunchy? Yeah, where's that sound coming from? When you've got like 15 links in the chain, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're doing that kind of troubleshooting, you know, you're often like looking at the meters on your stuff, but then you have to like reroute stuff to meters so you can see whether there's stuff on different cables. You have to swap out cables, replug, reroute things so you can listen to them and check whether they're distorted or not. Mm. It's a bit of a pain. And what you really need to deal with that kind of thing if you want to do it quickly, would be a bunch of test equipment and cable testers and stuff. Yeah. Which is what the sound bullet is. Wait, really? Let me send you a picture of it. Yes, please. That's tiny. It's not much bigger than a packet of Starburst. No. It's like 13 centimetres long, about three centimetres square. The body's kind of square. It's a modest vape rig. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking that, but I thought, you know, I'm not qualified enough to talk about vape rigs, so I'm glad you said that. (laughs) 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 But poking out of both ends, you've got basically XLR connectors, a male and a female XLR connector. Mm. It has a quarter-inch jack socket in it Mm. and a little tiny mini jack socket. Mm -hmm. There's a miniature speaker built into it with a level control. Really? I didn't realise there was a speaker. It's all built of metal, like two-year warranty, rechargeable over USB while it's operating as well if it needs to. That's a nice feature. And get a load of these functions. It'll accept signals over the XLR, either of the jack inputs. It'll show those levels on signal and peak LEDs. You can listen to it via the little built-in speaker or via the mini jack headphone output, if you switch that to be an output. Oh, my word. Any of those sockets can also be outputs and generate test signal. No! Pink noise and 1K tone at three different levels. That's so clever. And also, it just has ancillary uses as well. It's like you could use it as a talkback speaker (laughs) if you wanted to. (laughs) I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. And the signal LEDs double as battery warnings. You know, 20% battery, it flashes a certain way and like near empty, it flashes another way. What a good little bit of kit. But there's more. Oh, yeah. The XLR connector will also test for phantom power on both pins two and three. (laughs) So you can immediately, by sending phantom power from the desk, Mm -hmm. check the continuity of both your signal connections Mm. and then send test signal back from the sound bullet to check the sound. And those phantom power detectors indicate the voltage range. So if it's under voltage, it'll show. Or if it's over voltage, it'll show. (laughs) And if you connect an XLR cable between the male and female plugs on the sound bullet, Mm. it'll test the connections and whether it's miswired. (laughs) This is an absolutely crazy... Oh, the other thing I didn't mention is that it comes with a little double-headed, you know, (laughs) double-headed, we're getting into back into territories that we're going to keep your mind off, (laughs) a little double-headed jack adapter that you can plug into the jack socket. Mm. It then makes it into a jack plug. You can plug into DIs and into amps and things and and, and put test signal into them as well. (laughs) So this thing is just the craziest little troubleshooting test thing for any kind of recording and live sound situation. It is just nuts how good it is and why this thing never existed before. So suddenly the name makes sense. This is is this called the silver bullet? It's called the sound bullet. Well, it should be called the silver bullet. (laughs) 
Because <laughs> because it is. It's a one-stop solution to so very, very much. Although the name is the only thing, really, for me, that is a bit of cloud to this massive silver lining. <laughs> and that is, I have looked at their entire website. As far as I can see, they have never used the advertising strap line. Frustrated by line-checking and fault-checking headaches? The sound bullet will put you out of your misery. <laughs> I mean, why couldn't they have done it? <laughs> Clearly spent a bit too long brainstorming innovative solutions. Actual functionality. You see, that's why we've never come up with decent products. That's why I didn't have that, all that stuff in my book. I was too busy thinking of gags. <laughs> I could have done without the speaker if they just got a couple more puns yes. worked in there. That, that, that doesn't feel like an unreasonable request. So what do you reckon the price is then? It's an incredibly clever piece of tech. Yeah. It looks to me like there's a small microcontroller in there and, you know, no, no crazy wiring. No, oh, wow, how does it manage that? It's just like, no, thank God it does that. Just miniaturised. So I, I would really hope that these were coming in uh, 50, 60 pounds, especially given that kind of the ideal setup would have a bunch of them. Yes, I know what you mean. Uh, I'm afraid you're going to be disappointed. Oh dear, what, what, are they, what are they cracking in at? They're currently retailing for 220 euros. <gasps> oh my goodness. Well, good for them. <laughs> and it couldn't happen to a more worthy manufacturer. It's a tough one because... Wow. You know, if you think, okay, if I got a little phantom-powered signal generator, which I have, mm. and a cable tester, mm. and a little monitoring amplifier to listen to lines wherever, mm. it actually begins to add up to that kind of price range mm -hmm. without being so natty and small. Right. So uh, my thought also was like, oh, that's quite a lot of money. But then I think, actually, it's so useful. It's one of those situations of how most boringly to spend your money. It's a bit like acoustic <laughs> treatment. Yes. It's actually worth the money, but you feel really bad because it feels so unsexy. It sounds like, for anyone except Abbey Road, this is something that you, you carry around in a holster at your hip and you jack in at each point. And they have several different kind of belt holster options for you. Oh, God, that's cool. It's like those pipeline tools. You walk along and you just kind of jam it in and you, you get readings and whatever. Or those things that the people, when they come to your house to sort out your internet. Yes! They have that weird kind of handheld gizmo that has all sorts of dials and gauges and displays and things. Exactly. That makes you suddenly feel as if maybe you should have gone to get a proper job. <laughs> you know, we think we're dealing with technology in the studio, mm. but one look at that and I go, yeah. we haven't even started. We're still there with our Duplo blocks. Well, this is the wonderful thing about audio, that at the end of the day, you're dealing with one-dimensional voltage wobbles <laughs> in a very small range. And it's possible to kind of pour a life down the, um, I want to say black hole, a nicer word for black hole, <laughs> of getting those wobbles just right. At this moment in time, you've likely reached the dregs at the bottom of your tea and, and you can see your future in the leaves and I hope that you know that it includes some first-rate toast foley. So um, I'm going to turn now to Mike Senior, who is excitedly tenter-hooking. Yes. <laughs> ready to, to show us what he's got. Mike, I'm ready. I'm very ready. Ooh, that's nutty. That's a hearty sourdough. And I'm going to say you're doing a Jamie Oliver. Yeah. This kind of cool laid back thing where what you've done is you've sliced off a chunk, a doorstep, really, <laughs> toasted it. And then with the serrated oh, no, I, no, bread I haven't knife, sliced it off. I've torn it off the loaf. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, yeah. Toasted it over an open fire. Yeah. And then taken the bread knife, put a slab of butter onto that, and actually used the lacerated bread knife to spread the butter. Yes. It's a good sound. And I, I, I know for a fact it's a very quiet sound, which surprises me because of how fulsome it sounds. This is actually something that has been giving me great joy for the last two weeks. Because it is spring, which is a lovely thing, and we have daffodils coming up in the garden. And I don't normally have any kind of foliage or plants or anything because I tend to kill them. And of course, my room's completely dark. But my wife brought me a daffodil in a little bottle. Oh, wonderful. Which was closed up. And it's been lovely sitting here while I've been dealing with horrendous footnotes and references and all this kind of punctuation and stuff for the second edition of the book. Watching this daffodil slowly opening up. I'm trying to work out how this is going to refer back. And so I was just stroking the little stem of the daffodil Mm. with a thin piece of metal that I stick on top of my teacup to keep my tea warm for longer. Oh, that's so lovely. So, I mean, this is so topical, I can scarcely believe it. You know, this is wonderful because this to me is the most accurate foley we've ever done. Not that it necessarily sounds the most like toast, but you know when you hear how sounds were made? Well, no, we had to take a pre-1994 Barbie doll (laughs) and just sort of push it into a cabbage. And that was the only way that you can get like a really real sounding lion's roar or whatever it is. It was a red cabbage though. It had to be a red cabbage. absolutely a red red cabbage, half of which has been used to make borscht served to a red-headed widow. And that to stroke a daffodil stem with a small piece of insulating metal. (laughs) Sorry, a blossomed daffodil. Otherwise, it's not, you don't get the noise. It's the diffusion. This is, <laughs> it's the story that sounds most like a Foley story to me. That was excellent. Well, I mean, the pressure's on now. This jam had better be brilliant. I'm feeling very confident <laughs> about this one because it's not so much a song, it's a new instrument. Oh, good. I am really interested in, in new instruments, really interested and so frequently disappointed. Oh. You know, obviously it's difficult. People have been doing it for a long time, but... The amount of new instruments, which, I don't know, it's a few categories. It's either a, another set of buttons which controls MIDI. Yes. And I, I'm, in, I'm into innovative MIDI controls, I am. And I can see the design appeal of a weird organic structure which you press in different places and they don't look like buttons. But from a music creation point of view, that's not interesting to me mm. because anything you can do on there, I think I can do on my MIDI keyboard. You know, I'll just yeah. assign the keys to different whooshy noises. Yeah. And I, I genuinely resent the implication that the whooshy noises have anything to do with the instrument in that case. <laughs> just, no, you've got you've got yes. a great sample library and a 3D printer. So that that I don't enjoy. Yes. Then other ones, these I enjoy, but they don't quite scratch the itch for me. Yeah. The big boards of wood with several contact mics attached. Yeah. And then just lots of, you know, a spring worked in there and some things to hit, some things to scrape. Soundboards, like, they're they're interesting, but again, it's like, these aren't new sounds, these aren't new noises, this isn't really a new way to play. I mean, funnily enough, the example I was thinking was when the Juilliard String Quartet recorded The Art of Fugue on string instruments, Mm. and they had a special baritone viola made to play some of the things that were too low for the viola. Oh, wow. And that I was thinking, oh, that's a successful new instrument. But you're right, it's not fundamental a new thing. No. And then you get ones which are 
interesting to me, but you know, they're bubblegum. They lose their flavor quite quickly. Wow, what a great analogy. Oh. Yes, bubblegum instruments. <laughs> Which, and I, I think for me, like a baritone viola, unless people started writing really distinctive music for it, would fall into that. Yeah. For me, that's things like the Chapman stick yeah. for me, or, you know, any of these hundreds, it's a finger tapped guitar, but bigger. Yeah. There's a large board version of those, or a guitar that's also a harp. Yes. Which is made by gluing a harp to a guitar, double neck guitars. Or some of those kind of sitar like guitars that have got resonator strings under them and stuff. Yeah, oh, completely. It's interesting, fine, but it's just not interesting for long. Yeah. So I am thrilled to be able to bring to you a new, innovative musical instrument which can both make sounds that you've likely never heard before, I certainly haven't, <laughs> but simultaneously can find its way into established musical styles, but adding something brand new. Um, it's far too short a demo, but I'm going to send you a YouTube video for you to watch now. Here we go. Oh, I'm so excited. Quick, quick. <laughs> describe what you've just seen Mike it, it seemed to be transparently obvious what it was the moment it started mm -hmm. it's like oh it's just a thing that you slide it's a bit like a swanny whistle basically so a, a swanny whistle saxophone and then it swaps <laughs> and he's playing saxophone stylings yeah it blows my mind because I think how can that possibly work how can it be a swanny whistle and a saxophone at the same time that's crazy blimey I've doubted you in the past but <laughs> I consider myself pwned on that one because it's, yeah, that was tremendous. The instrument is called a glissatar. The maker of the video, which will be in all our links, referred to it as a fretless saxophone, which I think is a brilliantly punchy way. Yes. I mean, it's clearly related to the saxophone tone family. Yeah. So it's a saxophone mouthpiece on a kind of conical body. Looks quite like a soprano saxophone, but with no keys and just sort of black strip down the front. It looks frighteningly close to a shawm on first inspection. Yes, absolutely it does. I mean, when I first saw it, I did have that moment of flinching slightly in preparation mm -hmm. that you always mm -hmm. do with a shawm. And, you know, the first two thirds of the demonstration is absolutely just the strange otherworldly noises it can make. And then as for you, for me, it was when he broke into this incredible chromatic jazz solo. Yeah. That's where the interesting stuff lies, because it's not just odd noises, and it's not just a saxophone. It's a saxophone that can express in new ways. Yes. Sax players, depending on where you are in the range, you can normally bend about a tone, Yeah. sometimes a minor third. But this, you can bend an octave. It's not you can sometimes bend. There's a law among saxophonists that every solo you must <laughs> bend. <laughs> you must bend a total of three octaves collectively. Yes. So yeah. if you add up all your bends. Yeah. But this is limitless bending. It is literally a fretless saxophone. You know, microtonal stuff is as easy as tonal stuff. It's crazy. It's just incredible. To begin with, you're just thinking, oh, this is something that creates weird noises. And then all of a sudden, this window opens that says, every saxophone solo I've ever heard could have had a completely new dimension added to it. Yes. Thank you. That's what it is. It's another dimension. It's to be like if someone's playing an electric guitar solo and all of a sudden, 
sudden the sound morphed into a piano. <laughs> and you go, oh, crumbs, I didn't realise a guitar could do that. Now that a guitar could do that, think of all the things we can do with it. And, and this is the glorious thing. Yeah. Because I can imagine that happening. And the way I imagine that happening is that the electric guitar is going into a MIDI module. Yeah, well, yes. But here, what's glorious and what I love about this, and, and again, something that leaves me a bit cold is electronic instruments where this can't happen. You can see exactly how it works. Yes. It is a cone of wood with a magnetic strip going down it, which is held off at tension. And then when you press it down, it snaps down up to the point that you're pressing it. Right. There's nothing complicated about it, but what can emerge? I just want to hear more. I just want to hear more and more and more of this instrument. Amazing. And then the skill involved. Oh, gotcha. Of course, sharp and flat is just a slight modification of where your finger lands. I, I have to imagine that the player is a very accomplished saxophonist. This is something I think we've talked about before with synthesizers. Mm. This concept of no one learns to be a synthesist player. Yeah. When they did when you had a theremin because it was limited and there was a clear definition of what it meant to play the instrument. Mm. But with synths, you don't get that. You don't get someone who learns to play the DX7 and that's all they do. <laughs> yeah. So that they can really learn the nuances. But with an instrument like that, that is exactly what he's done. He spent three years practicing it since they designed it. Learning that instrument. So if you're, if you're imagining how it would be played, it's like a one-string violin, and you have that much pitch control, tremolo control. And yet it seems so much more complex than that. Yeah, it does. He makes it look so naturally as if he's playing a sax, and he isn't. And this is what I love about live music on acoustic instruments is also you can see everything about how it works. Yeah. You know, you can see that when the, the string gets shorter, the note gets higher. When you strum harder, it sounds louder. Yeah. It's simultaneously something anyone could do. Yeah. Only in as much as I could stop a string on a violin. I could strum a guitar. And that closeness to possibility makes their skill so much more impressive. That's so perceptive, yeah. I never enjoyed watching jugglers until I spent a week failing to learn to juggle. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's just, this, as you say, it's this keyhole into a new world. Yes. And you realise an edge of a slice of how hard it is what they're doing. And it's the reason why, if you see some guy with a huge keyboard rig just playing a, a little solo on a keyboard, it's not nearly as impressive as what that guy's doing with something where you uh, no. can see all the mechanics of how the sound's being made and that he's controlling all those mechanics rather than just playing the notes. That's what it has. It has that simple mechanics. It's a single strap and it's a tube with a hole in it. And so similarly to anyone could play it, anyone could build it mm. in theory. Like your lack of ability to build it wouldn't be because you don't understand complicated electronics yeah. or you don't know what shape you're going for. Yeah. It's extremely attainable in theory. The other thing it reminds me of is close-up magic. You know, everyone knows how a deck of cards work, but to see someone doing these incredible things with a deck of cards... That is an excellent comparison because you are familiar with the tool and, and all, all the component parts. They'll give you the deck of cards to have a look at mm -hmm. and you'll go, well, this is a deck of cards and then all of a sudden they've got them and they're appearing in fans and hopping up in the air and all sorts of stuff. Mm. And you go, blimey, I'm a skill minnow. <laughs> <laughs> skill minnow, yes, that is perfectly put. The one thing I object to in this instrument is its name. Mm. It's called the Glissatar which is a name for a fretless guitar. I thought that too. It should be the glissophone. Yes. But maybe there already is a glissophone. One moment, please. No, no, there's no such thing as a glissophone. <laughs> like, gl glissata, do you think they started doing a fretless guitar? 
and then realised that then blowing into a friendless guitar didn't make any noise. <laughs> <laughs> didn't make any noise. I don't know. I was absolutely lost. But but the good news, the good news is that there's actually a huge amount of stuff that this player has recorded on the Glissatar. Fabulous. <gasps> oh, and, okay, okay. I'm going to stop just reading stuff online while we're making a podcast. But <laughs> I was just my eye was caught by the text. Glissatar is the first member of the Glissonic family. Oh, which says to me that there are baritone ones and bass ones and soprano ones on their way, which is very exciting. The contrabass glissatar. <laughs> oh, which, of course, I can already feel it in my guts. It's a 50 centimetre move of your hand. Oh, yeah. Because what's nice about the soprano size is that you can fit it under your fingers. You know what it is? Tell me. You sit down, <laughs> it is horizontally mounted like a piano keyboard. Oh, yeah. So you can reach with both hands and the mouthpiece then curls around from one end back up towards you, a bit like an Ophiclide. <laughs> oh, where's the Kickstarter? Where's the Kickstarter? Well, it would effectively be a fretless foghorn. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think we've lost the marketing <laughs> angle there slightly. <laughs> now, we have had so much quality material in this podcast. It feels only right that we balance that with some quality face palmage. Mm. Some moments where things didn't go quite as right <laughs> and palm hit face with a resounding slap. Right. And seeing as it's my turn to do the honours this month, I wanted to uh, share a story just from the last month. Okay. I was trying to work out how to explain this in a way that made any sense. <laughs> and the best way I could come up with is when backstories collide. Because there are two independent backstories that you need to understand to understand why this face palm occurred. Oh, I, I love a good backstory. I love a good lore. <laughs> get, me into, get me into the lore. Right. The first thing is you need to know a little bit about my video production process because I do now regular weekly videos for my site patrons. Okay. And this is quite an involved process that is one of those chores that I really don't like doing. But it's just, you know, that's the only way it could be done, right? Okay. These are like how-to screencast videos. But I do them slightly differently than most people do. Most people just switch on their podcasting thing and then just ramble at the thing. But I do it differently, right? All right. Basically, I sort out all the audio demonstrations beforehand to make sure that they really show what I want them to show. Mm -hmm. And then I script the video in full around those examples. Okay. And I do like multiple sub-projects for each stage of the process I'm going to explain so that if I need to retake one section, I can do it without continuity problems. Interesting. I then record a screencast of each of those little steps to make sure that it, the continuity works between them. Mm -hmm. Then, after I've got all that video material together and I've checked that it actually works and that I can get it to work, mm. then I record my voiceover of the bit I've scripted with gaps between the sections where the audio examples are going to come. Okay. And then finally, I take my voiceover and all the screencast bits into my video editor so that I can, you know, make sure that the, I'm focusing on the right element in the screen and mm -hmm. edit the edit maybe audio comparisons. So, for example, if I've done two different mix settings, I can't do a flip between those in the audio software. I actually have to do it in the editing software by recording one as video and the other as video, lining them up and then switching between them in the video software. Oh, wow. So the message I want to get across is that the process of doing these videos is quite labour-intensive and boring. I was going to say, it's exactly as meticulous as I would expect it to be from you. Because those are the kinds of videos I want to watch and that's why I create those videos. And not many people do it that way. But So you won't get why this is a facepalm unless you realise the tediousness of the process, right? <laughs> so, let's put a pin in that. Mm -hmm. That's my first backstory. The second backstory is... I listen to a lot of podcasts and I often react to them vocally while I'm listening to them, which is a bit weird for the rest of my family. Like, <laughs> you know, I often get the, what are you laughing at? And it's like a podcast and they go, 
oh, because <laughs> I do it so often. You know, I'm a bit of a crazy person. But occasionally, it's not just that I'm laughing, mm. but I sometimes find myself actually interjecting. You know, if I think they're full of <laughs> something, I'll say, oh, that's this is being know. a podcast maker. Yes. Comes with the territory. And, you know, once an editor, always an editor. I've been working with language and editing stuff for a long time. And so I'm a bit anal about language. Mm-hmm. As I think you are very well placed to confirm, having read my WhatsApp messages. <laughs> yes, I can absolutely <laughs> confirm the truth of this. The fully capitalised, punctuated, occasionally with real honest-to-goodness paragraph breaks in them. <laughs> there is nothing you have put on WhatsApp that could not be published in the New York Times. It seems, it seems a point of pride. So there are occasions where I find myself correcting the podcaster when they say something that's ungrammatical. <laughs> <laughs> and... Brilliantly, in our last segment, you talked about the amount of new instruments that were being used. And of course, it should be the number of new instruments. Quantity! Quantity! (laughs) And that that one's one that is constantly bugging me. Mm. So much so that my family now know that if all of a sudden they hear me say the word amount or number, (laughs) it means that I'm correcting what I'm hearing on a podcast. (laughs) Now, I realise, and the thing is about this is that I realise that this is just me, that I am just a reactionary old dinosaur, and it really doesn't matter on a podcast. (laughs) But that is my second backstory. Okay, I feel richly prepared. (laughs) And that brings me to the collision of said backstories. Okay. Which was when I was just getting to the end of this long and laborious editing compilation process for this video that was about tuning correction. Okay. And my brain suddenly noticed this in the voiceover. So let me now play you back that whole phrase and I'll highlight all the notes I've pitch adjusted, which, as you can see, is less than half of them. Oh, oh, Mike, you did. <laughs> so I realised I should have used the word fewer rather than less. <laughs> yeah, yes. It's fewer than half of them. <laughs> they are countable things. Oh, oh, my word. You have no idea the intense emotional struggle <laughs> that occurred in me at that point. I was already in a rush to finish this edit. I'd been working on it for a day and a half and was thoroughly sick of it. And I knew I was the only person I would care about it. I was going to say, I, I have to know. But you know what I'm going to say. Uh, you're going to say that you, you let it go, deep breath in, deep breath out, and went out into the sunshine. <laughs> but you know me too well for that. I do. There was nothing else I could do but to heave a massive sigh, a sigh of epic proportions, go back into my voiceover project and re-record it, as is fewer than half of them. (laughs) Re-bounce it out, reprocess it, re-noise reduce it. Oh my word. Put it back into my video thing. It's slightly different length, of course. Mm. Slightly adjust, ripple edit the whole thing, get it in there. (laughs) (laughs) At which point, (laughs) I realised... Is fewer than half of them. It should probably be are fewer than half of them. Oh, of course. <laughs> no, because it's a plural. It is plural. You, you are. It's countable plural. Oh no, no, Mike. Said- so I had to do it again. No, you didn't. Why? I, I, I hope the recipients of this video appreciate the sanity oh. you have sacrificed on their behalf. And the thing is so galling about it is that it was no one but me mm-hmm. who was killing myself about it. <laughs> so the misery of doing it 100% was yours. entirely because yeah. of me making my own life a misery. It's the worst of self-inflicted injuries. <laughs> Oh, and that I scripted it in the first place. <laughs> I was going to say, you can you can go to the script editor, you can go to the writer, you can go to the performer, and wherever you lay the blame. All fingers <laughs> of blame point at me. Oh, my word. <laughs> and then, 
Even the rules that say you must atone for these crimes are also of your own making. And there's nothing to learn from it either. There's no learning points here. Oh, God. It is entirely just a hell of my own making. Oh, that's the perfect phrase for it. Oh, my God, Mike, that's so wonderfully you. And it's so petty and small and that in a way makes it even more hideous. It's like a paper cut that feels more painful than if you'd driven a nail through your hand. I don't know if there is anyone else in my life who I would believe that story from, let alone expect it. <laughs> it but, but from you, it's just like, well, yes, of course. <laughs> of course. Oh, it's Mike. Of course <laughs> of it course is. Of course you did. <laughs> Which brings us to the end of this month's adventure. Thank you so very much for joining us. We do just have time to thank our sponsor. Mm. It's a big one this month. It's MFI, uh, the furniture people. Of course. Have, have got in touch and asked us to spread the word about their, their Tito. Oh. Their, their, their new Tito. They look incredibly comfy. Uh, have, you, have you come across these, by the way? Uh, no. Well, they're, they're like sofas, but just slightly higher. Oh, right. Okay, how do you spell that? I'm not. I'm going to let this one land. They're called Tito's, and they are like sofas, but slightly higher. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! Oh, it took its time, but it was worth it when it landed. That is tremendous, Mr. Witten. I am so pleased with myself. You're on fire. <laughs> we've we've got Twitter, we've got Facebook, we've got an email, we've got a Patreon. I'm not sure we can top that. I think that we may this time have to go out on a high. But if you want to go out on a lower tier, then do head over to our <laughs> Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash Project Studio Tea Break, where, again, as usual, we've got extras twice a week. We've been shouting into the void. We've been talking about the science of whisper porn, hedgehog scrumpy. <laughs> Oh, my word. Stereo image of the year. I love these memories. There's so much stuff. Love these trolls down memory lane. We're on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash PSTB tweets and facebook.com forward slash PSTB books. My new single, Lie to Me, is out and on Spotify and Bandcamp and all all over the place. Um, So check that out. Mike, anything to plug? If you want to see the final tuning video that I did (laughs) (laughs) and check its grammatic beauty and point out some other thing where I've transgressed, then do sign up to the Cambridge Empty Patreon because there are videos every week of technical bits and bobs. That's patreon.com slash Cambridge MT. And with that, ta pets. Ta-ra! Ta-ra!